The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. How's it going and welcome to episode 86 of On The Wire, proud member of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at OnTheWirePod. And if you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, please take a second to let us know what you think. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me on the Twitter at 80Grade. That's all spelled out. And once again, joined by Kevin Hasting, who should be followed on the Twitter himself at HastingKevin. And we talked plenty about hitters last not even last week kevin we're back at it just a couple of days later we're looking at our steamer projections and like i said last week i'd rather turn this into a part two <laughs> episode we're going to talk about some pitchers but uh, some of those pairings that we talked about in the last episode have you noticed that we can actually start using the the auction calculator with the projections in there on fan graphs any interesting ones that kind of stood out oh yeah absolutely the Right away, the first one I checked, just going back and looking at who we talked about, Joey Manessis is actually comes out $3 ahead of Christian Walker, just for one example, what we talked about last week and going much later. So if, if you have any faith at all in these projections, this is great. You'll start to find some of these guys and hopefully we can find a couple pitchers today as well. Yeah, that's the plan. Just a reminder, but of course, all these projections, they're 50th percentile, right? Certain players have a little bit more volatility than others. They can go up or down based on what they end up doing, whether they're used differently than you expect, or they get injured, or their role isn't as defined the way that they're projected to be. So obviously, some of that is baked into these projections, and some of it can't be. So just consider that as well when you're utilizing these projections. As Kevin said, we are going to talk about some pitchers in the steamer projections toward the end of the show. We're going to talk about a whole lot more as well. So we're going to bring in our very special guest, new to the show, Ryan Venancio, who should be followed on the Twitter at Ven underscore Armbarn. Awesome Twitter handle, by the way. Make sure you get that verified. And he can be heard co-hosting the Cut Fantasy Podcast alongside in front of the show, John Fish. We'll take. I'll talk to Ryan about his pod. Pretty interesting league that he'll be drafting a couple of days after this pod goes out. And of course, we'll be comparing some similar pitching lines from the 2023 steamer projections that I mentioned later on in the show. But for now, Ryan, thanks for joining us. How's your offseason and or draft season? As I like to say, November is still draft season treating you so far. No, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the pod. It's going pretty well. I've done 
two DCs in a dynasty startup already. I'm one of those crazy people that likes drafting early. You got to get it going. And I, I usually draft all off season. So always be drafting, uh, right? That's the terminology. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to be in a hundred leagues like fish and waxman, but I'll still be drafting here and there. I'm actually going to take a little break though. After this gladiator draft that we're going to talk about soon, I'm going to finish. I like going over every team separately. And uh, once free agency fills out all the teams, that's when I'll like fully dive back in. Yeah, the beauty of drafting right now is there are so many more variables <laughs> to consider yes. now that could change by the time you draft in February or March, free agency being one of the bigger ones. I feel like especially this year, there's some, especially on the pitching side, there's some pretty decent names out there that are expected to be changing hands. You're not sure exactly how those new hands are going to treat them. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to talking about this Gladiator League as you teased. So make sure you guys wait. Don't fast forward. We got some really good stuff to talk about before that, but it'll be a really interesting conversation, I think, for this new league that'll be based on the NFBC platform. But before we get into that, we're going to get into a couple of news items that have compiled, and then I want to make sure we get into them. Kevin, we're going to start here. There are a few, and I use the the term low-ranked, not the best way of putting it, but low ADP (laughs) hitters have been changed teams already this offseason in various ways. I'm going to list off a couple of them that kind of came across my desk. The Rangers, they traded Nick Solak to Cincinnati. Colorado traded Sam Hillier to Atlanta. The Rays traded Jimmy and Choi just, I think, yesterday or today to Pittsburgh as we're recording this. The Athletics did sign Kevin Crone to a minor league deal. The Dodgers, they claim Luke Williams from the Marlins, and the Orioles claim two players, Daz Cameron from the Tigers and Jake Cave earlier in the offseason from the Twins. Do believe they actually signed Jake Cave as well to avoid arbitration? So he has a guaranteed contract there. If you have to pick one of these guys, and these are all very low men on the totem pole in your draft for draft options, but which one do you think has the best chance of making an actual fantasy impact on their new team? Ooh, that's tough. I did not know that was the direction you were going to go here. (laughs) That is tough. I think we would all love to see a healthy Nick Solak at Great America Small Park. My concern is the platoon splits heavily favor, even in Cincinnati's lineup, him being in the short side of platoon, but definitely something to monitor. Sam Hilliard, I think is my choice. I know he wasn't even good at home for Colorado this past season, but the playing time was so sporadic. We've seen the power he's got deceiving that he's got speed that I don't think everybody realizes he does have. And I'm kind of in that maybe this is one of those change of scenery scenarios. We all know not everybody loves the Rockies organization. And I think that includes, as we have seen with guys departing, that that includes players, not just fantasy players. So I think he's the one I'm most interested in to see, but it's not really something that I think we can act on yet. I think we have to wait and see, but definitely something I want to keep my eye on. Yeah. Worry about the Atlanta outfield and how much playing time there will be for Hilliard. If this was, if this had gone the other way, if Hilliard was on Atlanta and he got traded to Colorado with his age because he's no longer 22, 23 years old. Yeah, I think it'd be way more interesting. And I think the Solak one is just like the very obvious comps of uh, is this next year's Brandon Drury 
being traded or signing or whatever with Cincinnati and Great America's Ballpark, a guy that involved has shown some flashes and we thought could do something. Ryan, do you have any anybody else on the list have any interest in them, especially in if you're drafting an early DC, if you're taking a chance on somebody? I know DCs are all about playing time and getting the guys that's going to be able to you're going to be able to plug in and, and in moments notice you're less looking for the guy who can make a, a surprising impact. But are any of these guys fit the bill for you? I mean, Dream Man Troy is like a legitimately good hitter. I And he's going to play every day, right? It's not like he's going to have someone compete with him on Pittsburgh. They just traded for him. He walks a ton. He hits the ball hard. I think that's a pretty good late DC play. But Kevin, I really like the call on Sam Hilliard. The Braves are so great because they're a team that's really good at player development. And if you take a guy like Sam Hilliard who has a 19% chase rate, and a 115 max EV with really good sprint speed, uh, it might just be like, he might just be a fourth outfielder, but it might also be like a project that the Braves are taking on. If they can have Hilliard make more contact, I think he can be like a legit big league player because you got plus defense, plus speed, plus power. And like I said, the 19% chase rate's really good. Uh, I don't know. I think I'd take the chance on Hilliard if I already have my outfield set in the D.C., I don't really know what his ADP is going to be after this trade. Mm. But if I can get him as a seventh, eighth outfielder, I might take the chance on that. Yeah. And if anything, if you look even deeper into Atlanta, I wonder what kind of impact this might have on somebody like Von Grisham. If if they do re-sign Swanson or bring in another shortstop and there's not an obvious place now for Von Grisham to go, he no, Von Grisham doesn't move to the outfield or there's not as much opportunity does he get actually get sent back down to start the year as he did fizzle at the end of 2020? Excuse me, at the end of 2022, do they send them back down to AAA to iron things out and work on it? And then he's not actually an option for maybe the first couple months of the 2023 season. So something to keep an eye out as far as their depth chart goes and any other moves that Atlanta might make, this might have some kind of triple trickle down effect on the rest of the roster. All right. Another, we had the GM meetings in Vegas just happen recently. I think that just, it just finished up. But one of the things that kind of came out of there at the very beginning was a sense that the Blue Jays would be more than willing to trade away one of their top tier catchers, whether it's a top prospect in Moreno or their guys that are Kirk just won a silver slugger award in the catcher position. And then you have Danny Jansen as well as an everyday guy back there. Ryan, if if you're the Blue Jays, who are you trading? And keeping in mind all the aspects of it, whether it be the return that you might get for a certain player, the production that you're losing by sending them away and balancing all that out, who are you sending away and what are you hoping to get? I would trade Gabe Moreno because Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk are already really good. So I don't know if Moreno is going to be really good at the big league level. And he's probably going to have more value than Danny Jansen on the open market. So I would trade Gabriel Moreno. And I think the Blue Jays have a massive hole at at the back end of the rotation. I'm not a fan of Mitch White. I don't think he's like a guy that should be your five starter. He's more of a six or seven starter on a big league rotation. You say Kikuchi could have a bounce back year. He's still got the stuff. 
but they need another starting pitcher to go along with their three aces. So I would definitely target a pitcher. You're thinking about a team. The Marlins did just trade for Stallings, but he was really bad last year. I would say they still probably need a catcher. But you have to attack a team like that has excess starting pitching and get a guy like Trevor Rogers or Edward Cabrera with another piece on top of that. I think that's something they need to do. Yeah, it seems as though Toronto's not the only team talking about either trading away or trading for a catcher in, in this offseason market. So it does seem like there would be more than one option out there as far as teams that are looking for catchers. So Toronto should, shouldn't have a problem finding a good pairing, but I agree. Like looking for somebody who has excess pitching and whenever that conversation comes up, everybody talks about the Marlins and because they somehow find a way to have excess pitching year in and year out. Kevin, wh- are, which of these three guys stands, do you think stands to gain or lose the most by, lo- by leaving Toronto? And is this situation, this rumor really what it comes down to right now, impacting the way that you're, you'd be targeting any of them in a draft? Yeah, I think it's obviously Moreno will gain the most. He's could, he, he's not going to play for Toronto right now as, as much as they would like to get him in that lineup. Just like Ryan said, Kirk and Jansen are already really good. So uh, he obviously gains the most, and I agree. He's probably the most likely to go. So, yeah, I think I'm giving him a little bit of a bump right now, assuming that he will land somewhere where there will be some playing time. I don't think anybody's going to trade for him and make him their backup catcher, maybe at first, but I think he works into at least what we see these days with a lot of these teams getting at least a 60-40 split with catchers and some even close to 50-50. I think that's the worst case scenario we're looking, which is already better than what he's looking at in Toronto for 2023. Yeah, and even if he's not the one being traded, if you trade any either of the other two guys, Marino's an obvious call-up. He's an obvious guy to fill in, even if it is a backup. But if you trade Jansen, Kirk is not an everyday catcher. He's If anything, Kirk probably becomes the backup catcher with a lot of time at DH, where Marino can fill in as the everyday catcher and probably get even more at-bats in that scenario. So I agree with the bump up in Moreno for sure. I don't think it really affects Jansen or Kirk. If they're moved, they're, I don't think it's going to affect the amount of playing time that they see. All right, that's, that's all the news I really wanted to go over this week and this episode. So we're going to get into the main discussions of the episode. And that's, like I said, comparing some like-minded pitching lines that we saw from the 2023 steamer projections that just got released last weekend. We'll do that right after this quick break. All right, we are back. You're still listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined by Kevin Hastings. We are lucky enough to have with us Ryan Venancio, co-host of the In The Cut Fantasy Podcast. And before we get into the stuff I said before the break, we were going to talk about, Ryan, I wanted you to give me opportunity. I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of give, let me know what is In The Cut Podcast. We live in a world where there's a lot of different podcasts out right now. Not a lot of baseball ones, and if I'm not mistaken, you guys do focus on some baseball in there. It's not just baseball. You guys have been doing a lot of fancy basketball pods in the as of recent. But what is it that you and Fish are trying to accomplish with this podcast? And why should anybody else be listening to it? So I think we're unique because we're strictly a draft prep podcast. We, we Basketball draft season is over. 
this Sunday, we're going back into baseball and we're just going to be doing baseball draft prep episodes. We're really big on, because I think because we're fantasy basketball players, it's like a puzzle. Uh, you have to balance, and it's similar to baseball, where you draft steals early and you have to draft power later. You have to balance your batting average the whole time. So we're really big on that. And it's cool because I'm more analytical in my approach and Fish is more of like back of the baseball card. He likes getting, he has a strict strategy that he always goes by. He has his aces and bases. He talks about, he drafts closers early. He's like the veteran, great high stakes player. And I'm like the noob that's still learning. Yeah, I know my analytics and stats and stuff, but I'm still learning how to be a great fantasy player. So I take the knowledge that he has of being a great fantasy player. And I think I give him some knowledge of the statistics and stuff. And that's why we're such a great pairing, I think. Well, you, you have a decent little collection in your trophy room already for being a quote noob. As you even just put it in your Twitter profile, you came in second overall, sorry, third overall in the second chance league that happened the last time the NFBC held those, which was 2021. Sixth overall in the basketball OC on the same platform as well. So just saying, the new title, I don't know, does anything justice here. I appreciate the modesty. He's a noob like Juan Soto's a noob. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) No, don't compare me to Juan Soto. I appreciate that, though. (laughs) He's more of a Julio Rodriguez. I'm sorry. That's awesome. I I love when uh, Chris at Baseball Pods posts out when he finds a new podcast. And this is how I actually found your guys' podcast. Um, it's just sick. the red alarm emojis coming up. New podcast, new podcast. I'm like, all right, awesome. If Chris is reviewing it and it's worth putting out there, then I'm going to make sure I take a listen to it. And I love the fact that you guys are looking into more of the strategy aspect of it. There are a lot of podcasts out there and a lot of them talk about, especially in season, player analysis and who's doing what, who's doing this or that. And the fact that you guys are able to blend the a little bit of that, but mostly focusing on the strategery of putting putting together a team in the draft preparation. It's a good time to do it because this is the time of year where a lot of podcasts go dark or at least take a break because they've been going so strong throughout the course of the season. So make sure you guys are taking a chance to listen to that, especially now that you guys are moving toward or into the baseball prep specifically in the cut podcast and make sure that you guys are, sorry, in the cut fantasy podcast Make sure you guys are taking a listen to that. I would suggest, even if you don't play fantasy basketball, I never have in my life, and I doubt I ever will, but have listened to some of their first episodes and recent, and it doesn't have to be that you're drafting basketball. Just the strategies that they talk about and some of the things that they bring up will help in any fantasy draft. If you listen next week after they get back to mostly baseball on Sunday now that fantasy basketball drafts are over and you like what they're saying, I would suggest go back and listen to the couple, even though they're focusing on basketball, there's still a lot of great info in there. I appreciate that, Kevin. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk about some different draft prep that you'll be doing next week. I think the draft is on the 16th. You'll be participating in the first ever I, I assume, first ever Gladiator League on the NFBC platform. Talk to us about what this is, because it's not something any, except for the 15 people who started are starting it off, probably know anything about. Yeah, so it's, it's a 23-round draft 
I don't think they're all going to be fast drifts, but ours, the first one's going to be a fast drift. I'm assuming there'll be some slow drifts, some whatever. So it's a 23-round draft. You draft a starting lineup, and that's all you have for the entire season. Uh, so this is the best ob- ball, right? Is obviously best ball. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not best ball because there's no like lineup optimization. You just have whatever's in your lineup. <laughs> right. Right. So it's so, five by five. It's not points. It's five by five roto. So it's ro- roto best ball, if that's a thing. I don't yeah. know if it is, but <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what you could call it. And yeah, I mean, it's just five by five. You have your 23-man roster, and you don't have to obviously don't have to check your team because there's no bench. And that's just what you have the whole year. There's no in-season fab. The you can't change your lineup because there's nobody on your bench to plug in. <laughs> yeah, really want to hammer that point home. Yeah, um, because it's such a ridiculous concept. But I so you're saying Byron Buxton's not a first rounder? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? This draft hasn't happened yet. I'm really looking forward to seeing this draft board. If you guys, even if black out everybody's names or whatever, but if even the first six rounds, like NFBC usually does drafts, they'll post the first six rounds of a draft board as it completes. Uh, very curious to see how this works out. I saw yeah, Zach Waxman posted, he did a tweet out there when he was looking for two or three more people. And you, you look through the thread and you get the idea of what this is going to be. You were telling us before the show started, like you had a part in creating this. Why would you do this to people? <laughs> <laughs> so it was something that Jason DuPont, and uh, Anthony Gialdi and Waxman and Fish, they more have had the idea and they've pitched it to uh, Derek. I thought it was ridiculous. When I, I joined, <laughs> we were all on a Zoom call. We we're all just, just having fun on a Friday night. And uh, they had pitched the idea. And I'm think I didn't really contribute much. I'm just thinking in my head, like, who's going who's gonna to sign up for this? <laughs> You're going to have no bench, never going to check your team. But then you think about it because it's cool because, you know, you're going to play it differently. You're going to focus more on volume, even more so than a DC. Injury risk players are going to go down theoretically, though the more I thought about it is there's strategy in it, right? Because if there's an overall component, which there is, I believe it's $8,000 overall prize. And I believe every league's going to be just $50. If there's an overall component, maybe somebody takes a risk. And if... You have a great team that stays healthy and you took and Byron Buxton maybe slips to like the eighth or ninth round. And by God's grace, he plays 120 games <laughs> that really boosts your chance of winning the overall. So I just think it's I think it's a really unique game that's going to have all types of different strategies. And the other thing I forgot to mention, there's an innings minimum of 125. So you can't just have a bunch nine of- relievers. Yeah, I guess you could, but you really wouldn't have a chance at winning the overall because you'd be so low in strikeouts, sure, so low in sure. wins. So, I mean, you wanted to win the league. I guess you could do that anyway and probably still qualify, but it would I mean, 125 out. innings is not that that many innings. Even nine, 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 nine relievers are going to cr- crush that as long as you don't pick guys mm-hmm. that are in the minors or aren't going to actually pitch. Yeah, so the innings minimum is really... Not it's much to make a, sure it's, not much of a factor. it's to make sure you don't just completely punt wins and strikeouts to, and, and go for ratios and and have guys draft guys that you are actually hoping might not pitch. I think would that's, be the purpose true. of that. Sure. 
And yeah, like you said, Ryan, you're not going to do that anyway. If you have want a shot at the overall, just like in any other overall, like you can't punt stolen bases because you won't have any chance at the overall, but you can punt a category in a single league and still win that league. Yeah, I guess that it helps avoid that scenario to an extent as well. But yeah, these are 15 teamers. Like you said, 23 rounds, no fab. Yeah, I'm very curious to see what happens in the first couple of rounds with like the news that Harper might actually get Tommy John surgery. But we don't know yet. Is It could go from the reports are he's going to look into it. He might do nothing. <laughs> he might get Tommy John and anything in between. I'm curious to see how how that gets handled at doing a draft like this at this time of year. And I also wonder, as they continue to do these drafts throughout the offseason, how that like that draft board is going to change so much more drastically than other draft boards between November and March, as we saw what happened with Max Muncy last year when we we didn't know what was going to happen with the UCL, and then all of a sudden he was being drafted at 250 overall, and then by March, like it looked like he was going to be fine, and he was playing third base. And what is what? Not to give anything away because your draft hasn't happened yet. I get it. What's your gut react? What's your gut strategy that you think you might go with? And you can feel free to change that strategy by the time the draft comes along. But in your gut, like which direction do you think you'll be going in? I think I'm probably going to go hitter heavy start. The one thing I'm really curious about is relievers because there's probably only going to be like 40 or so relievers drafted. So is the price? Does the price of Emmanuel Classe? And Liam Hendricks go like up even more. Like is Class A going to be a first rounder? I'm not really sure. And especially because you're going to have less innings. So the impact of your relievers on your ratios is going to be greater than a normal league where you always have pitchers in your lineup. But yeah, I think I'm going to go hitter heavy to start and just, you know, feel out the draft, see what's being pushed up, what isn't, players that are falling. It makes it hard that it's a fast draft because it's going to be like if something crazy happens, it's just it's going to be <laughs> it, we're draft We're drafting in November. It's not like I've been drafting for months and I can on the fly have pivots. <laughs> I'm going to do this. If this happens, it's still, I'm not really 100% prepared. Obviously, no one's going to be. But yeah, I, there's a 95% chance I start hitter and then just see what the board does. Yeah. I was wondering if it might, I'm sure there's be somebody in the draft room that does the opposite of that and might even go three starters in a row just because the innings are going to be so much harder to get. At least how many pitchers are actually going to hit 200 innings, not to mention that who can do it, but who can stay healthy enough all year to do it? Who do you rely on being able to do that and not get injured? The risk with pitchers, everybody knows is so much greater and I would venture to guess if you're going for that overall, you might want to start pitcher heavy just because it's a risk reward situation with drafting pitchers high in a draft, no matter what format you're drafting in. But yeah, Kevin, what uh, we were talking about beforehand, knowing that this is going to be an ongoing thing, the NFBC has an overall component. I think both you and I are going to be doing one of these at some point, whether it's soon or later, we'll see. But what's your gut say as far as what direction you would go without having thought about this more for more than like the last 20 minutes? I think even more than we talk about often when we're drafting, knowing the room, playing the room, I think like Ryan said, at this time of year, it's even harder. 
but the adjustments that, that you guys just brought up on the fly in the draft when something does happen, I think it's going to be a situation where even in a fast draft, you're going to have to really try to be paying attention to how you think your opponents are lining up in each category to, to know where to go as the draft is going. I think more so than any other format, this is your one and only team for six months. So you're really going to have to try to figure out who, not who, what categories your opponents are prioritizing and make your adjustments there. The other thing I put on the notes here, I wanted to ask you guys about is like, how do you guys value rookies and prospects in a draft like this? Like I just talked about a guy like Von Grisham, who I think has a good shot of starting in the minors, but he still was like a very prominent player for a very good team to end the season. There's going to be, you have to assume, especially with only 23 rounds, there's going to be some pretty big prospects, pretty big stashes that don't get drafted in these. Do you think, Ryan, do you think that there will be any kind of priority to the highest end prospects or even a guy like Corbin Carroll or Gunnar Henderson who are going in a pretty high range right now in drafts? Do you think that it pushes those guys down further just because of their status, their rookie status? Or do you think those guys playing time is fine. You're not worried about it, but there's still a little bit more risk there. Yeah. I wouldn't think that there's um, that Gunner and Corbin Carroll are going to be pushed down. There's a chance it would make sense if they were, they're so good that you would imagine they stay up all year. Although of course you never know. I probably won't be drafting any prospects like Jordan Walker's ADP is I think 280 right now. I'd actually be surprised if he even gets drafted just like, I think he's going to make the Cardinals out of spring training, but that doesn't mean he's going to. He could get called up in June or July. You don't really Mm -hmm. know, and that's not a chance you can take because if Jordan Walker gets called up in June and he hits 13 homers and steals five bases and hits 250, like you can, Yon Moncada should be able to do that pretty easily, right? Sure. In a full season. Well, Yon Moncada, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Even if he's terrible again, that's probably like worst case scenario for Moncada. (laughs) So it's hard. It's going to be hard to draft those. Volpe probably won't get drafted. Matt Mervis is going in the top 200 now. That's, God. He's going to be, it's already questionable about the fact he's going in the top 200 after his AFL, those videos going around from the AFL. But, He's as guaranteed a starting job as any prospect who hasn't made his debut yet. So he's a guy I'll be curious about like how, where he ends up going, if he gets drafted, or if it's one of those things where if there's 10 of these drafts, does he get drafted in seven out of 10? That'll be the more interesting thing. We talk about that with like how many times Spencer Strider was drafted last year in DCs. Not all of them. Michael Harris was only drafted in seven of them or something like that. And so... It'll be interesting to see what kind of a player makes that kind of an impact on the and the least amount of teams in this overall component. I think it'll be something we talk about at the end of the season for sure. Yeah, I would much rather take a chance on a Dustin May or an O'Neill Cruz if they were to fall in drafts because even though their production isn't guaranteed, their upside is so high. I would rather draft like super safe and then throw in like a sort of risky pick like O'Neill Cruz or Dustin May to hope that they have a great season and that helps your team a lot in the overall. It, O'Neill Cruz might hit 230 with 25 homers, but he could also hit 250 with 30, 35 homers. Just, that's more of the risk I would take opposed to drafting a prospect or something like that. 
The last thing I put on here, Kevin, I'm going to have you start this one off, but uh, we talked about Buxton jokingly and whether or not he gets drafted or not. <laughs> Never mind, he gets drafted in the first round. But like, w- where do you stand on like drafting these in this kind of scenario, Kevin? Like drafting an Aaron Judge, who obviously is going in the top five or six in most of these drafts right now, but has his own history of injury. We talked about the question marks around Bryce Harper, but then you also have Fernando Tatis. Ozzy Albies, who's just coming back from injury as well, and all these other players that have this history, even though they might seem healthy going into 2023, do you put in this scenario, do you push them down? And you always say like, you're going to need multiple rounds of a discount for some of these guys in the first couple, first half of a draft. But like, how much more of an impact will their injury history play when you're evaluating? Oh, it's definitely going to be more of a consideration that already is a consideration. There is no bench. And if what season long absence like Tatis had, that's the entire season of your first or second round pick gone. So absolutely, that's going to be a higher consideration. I would be more interested in guys that are already a little later than the Judge Tatis Albies. I'd be more interested in Buxton. Do I get a three or four round discount rather than half a round or a round? And it's going to be even more important, I think, to limit the number of these. You know, everybody talks about this all the time. If you draft one or two of these guys, you can't draft any more of them. And I think that becomes even, I think my limit would be one. Uh, of the guys that I have any significant concerns about. Yeah, I mean, this includes, we're talking about Stanton, who's going much later than these guys that we're talking about as well, and other players that go further down the line in the current ADP scenarios. Yeah, they probably, those guys probably don't fall as much, at least in comparison, as the guys at the top in this scenario is what I would guess. But we will we'll find out after, I think your draft's on Thursday, the 16th, if I'm not, I should probably look at calendars before I start spewing out dates and weeks. It's next Wednesday. 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 I got the 16th part right, but it is on a Wednesday. Yeah, close enough. But but by Thursday, maybe we'll see at least a partial part of a draft board, or at least it should be in the ADP section of of NFBC, which we'll be able to see how that worked out because there'll only be one of these gone so far. Very interesting to see the results of that. Keep an eye on that, whether when the NFBC might add more to the lobby. And like I said, Kevin and I will be jumping in one of these as well. So we'll make sure to let everybody know when we jump into those. Maybe we can get those filled up pretty quick. Let's get into what I led off the episode with. And let's talk about some of these pitchers that I noticed in the steamer 2023 steamer projections. They look pretty similar, as we talked about on the last episode with some hitters. We're going to go through. We got four. I got four sets of pitchers, mostly pairs. I did. I have a trio at the end here. We're going to start toward the top of ADP to start, and these are all starters. I'm not touching relievers in this scenario because <laughs> there are some projections that don't even put saves in there. <laughs> so we're steamer does but some other ones don't so we're just going to talk about starting pitchers here first and foremost we have everybody's favorite sandy alcantara finished the season with 228 or 228 and two-thirds innings as of right now i don't think the awards have been announced but should be the cy young winner coming out of the national league he's expected to 
cross the 200 inning marker again by Steamer's projections by with 211 innings, 200 strikeouts, but a little bit of a regression here in the ERA, 3.55 with a 3.42 FIP in 1.2 whip compared to the 0.98 whip in the 2.28 ERA he put up last year. Side by side with him, Alcantara, first of all, is going as the fourth pitcher off the board on the NFBC through 17 drafts, 27th overall. That's about the end of the second round. But if you wait until the middle of the sixth round, you could grab Luis Castillo instead, 27th pitcher off the board, 69th overall. And Steamer has him going just shy of 200 innings with a 3.31 ERA, better ERA, and 1.19 whip, better whip than Alcantara. And we saw him go to Seattle, leave Great America Small Park, sign an extension with the Mariners. So he's obviously pretty comfortable with the move that he made over there as well. Kevin, let's start here with you. Like the same questions we talked about with hitters. Do you trust these projections? Is there is is the regression on Sandy in here baked in logical to you? And if so, is there any reason why you wouldn't skip over him and go toward Castillo four rounds later? Yeah, this is awesome. This is we talked in the intro with the hitters and Manessis and Walker and mentioned that a lot of the other hitter pairings that we looked at a few days ago were similar. And th- this is the exact same situation, right? When you plug this into an auction calculator, Luis Castillo is over $4 of value more than Alcantara. And that's crazy, especially when the pairings you picked out, the lines look so similar for there to be that big of a difference and actually at pushing Castillo up that much. I think when you look at the projection itself compared to what has gone on over the past few seasons, it's really interesting, right? We know Steamer is always very conservative for most pitchers in ERA, but his 355 projection ERA by Steamer is far and above anything he's done for the past three seasons. So maybe that's the flip side of that is it's that way for most pitchers. So it's to the, what extent is that affecting the, where they come out in the auction calculator value when you run those through, he's probably going to have better than a three, five, five ERA, but the rest of it, do we expect him to go close to 230 innings again? I don't think anybody does. They're still projecting him well over 200. So I think that's reasonable to get to your question. They're giving him a slight bump in walk rate, but still 233 walk rate per nine. That's not bad at all. That's not a huge jump. They're actually giving him a bump in strikeouts. So on a per night, any basis with him not going 228 innings anymore. Answer your question. I think other than thinking the ERA will be a little better, but that will be the case with most pitchers we look at. I think this is a very reasonable and remember these are 50th percentile, right? So they're not saying he can't be much better than this. So yes, I think these are pretty reasonable. And then in this case, 
even though the lines look very similar, you run them through that auction calculator and see where they come out. And I would rather have Luis Castillo in almost every instance over Sandy Alcantara at these costs. Ryan, without knowing how you utilize projections and you can get into kind of your thought process in that, do you think like this projection in and of itself, especially when it comes to these early drafts, they're not, they haven't had an ability to impact drafts yet. People are either utilizing their own personal projections, their own spreadsheets, their own analytics, whatever. But then you get into these very well-known, consistent projections that come out, Steamer, The Bat, ACC, et cetera, et cetera, that people utilize on a regular basis. How much of an impact do you think seeing specifically at the top of a draft right here will have on somebody like Luis Castillo, who's going 27th as the 27th pitcher off the board, which includes relievers, maybe the 23rd, 24th starter off the board at this point, definitely top 25. Will it have more of an impact on him moving up draft boards or more of an impact on Sandy moving down draft boards? I think Luis Castillo is going to go up boards more than Alcantara is going to go down. Just because Sandy had such an amazing ERA last year, people are going to look at that the 230 innings, and I think he'll still go in the first couple of rounds. Now, would I rather have Castillo as the 27th ranked pitcher than taking Alcantara in the first two rounds? Yeah, probably, only because Castillo was great last year. He just had the shoulder injury in spring training, and that's why he wasn't able to throw as many innings. But if you look at Castillo in recent seasons, he generally stays healthy. And getting him out of Great American Small Park is only going to help him. On top of that, the Mariners generally let their pitchers go. Like Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, and Robbie Ray generally go deeper into games. That should only Those things should only help Castillo. I am a really big fan of Sandy. I don't really use pitching projections all that much into, baked into what I do. I like looking at them just to see, like, how they work. So just by doing this for a few years, I know Steamer generally just takes the last couple of years of XFIP and makes it the pitcher's ERA, which is fine. You're going to be right a lot of the time doing that, but there's going to be outliers. Like when you look at Alcantara's ERA, since he became good, basically, it's lower than his FIP and XFIP every season. I like that Uh, analysis. Since he's become good that's all that's all you need to know <laughs> oh yeah it's for in 2017 and 2018 yeah, sure. <laughs> he was, yeah he hardly pitched but if you look at 19 20 21 22 his era is much lower than his fip and xfip every season so projections aren't really going to at least steamer isn't going to care about that it's still going to go back to the xfip and basically make it like his xfip in 2021 was three four five his ERA in 2023 is projected to be 355. It's essentially the same thing, just slightly regress. I guess they're just regressing his home run rate. That's fine to do that. You're just like, once once we go further down the list, you're going to look at Dodgers pitchers. They always outperform their FIP and XFIP. The guys like, I don't want it. I don't give too much away because it's another guy we're going to talk about. But yeah, you're going to be wrong on the outliers. Um is basically my whole point, but using, again, I don't really use it just because I use more. I Saris has a stuff and command metrics. I like incorporating those 
and I do my own deep dive on each pitcher individually. I don't really use projections. It, like I said, I think at this time of year, especially if you're drafting before the NFBC platform even flips over <laughs> to the next season, you've got to be, right? You've got to be utilizing your own rankings, your own projections, your own statistic ana- analysis, because these don't exist yet, right? If not, If for no other reason, these don't exist. You can't lean on them. But I think it would be naive to to say that these projections aren't utilized by a vast majority of people, especially as draft season moves along into after the calendar flips over. And if they're going to have an impact on draft position of all these players. Like you might not be able to, this might move Castillo up. Luis Castillo might move up a round or two based on the fact that, hey, this line is so much closer to the guy I was drafting fourth overall. Like I, I should be reconsidering that. And so I think it's, uh, it's definitely a good exercise to look and how similar some of these lines are. And so the next pairing I want to get down to, Ryan, we'll start here with, I'll let you analyze these guys here because way more so than the Alcantara versus Castillo lines, these two guys here we're going to talk about are almost identical in almost every way. Maybe a little bit of innings pitch off here or there, but Alec Manoa currently going as a 25th pitcher off the board, 66 overall. He is going at the top of the sixth round in 15 teamers. Has Steamer has him going for 199 innings, so right in line with what he finished 2022, but has him regressing a whole lot in the ratio categories. 4.11 ERA and a 1.24 whip estimated compared to his 2.24 he finished the season in ERA and a 0.99 whip. You compare that to Tristan McKenzie, who is going at the end of the eighth round, so two and a half rounds later, 39th pitcher off the board, 93rd overall, slightly less innings projected at 184, but the exact same 4.11 ERA and a 1.23 whip, so basically identical to what we saw the projections for Alec Manoa. Is this regression that Steamer's putting on Alec Manoa? Are you putting this all, he's only had, he doesn't have three years worth of XFIP to pull from with the Blue Jays. But do you think that this is a fair regression for Manoa? And if so, is there really any reason he should be going at the, as a 25th pitcher off the board? Uh, It's fair and it's not. It's tough because Manoa hardly pitched before 2021. He threw 35 innings in the minor leagues. So there's Mm -hmm. really no data to go off of there. But he was great in 21. And uh, the reason why it might be fair is that his strikeout rate went from uh, nearly 28% in 2021 to 23% in 2022. We saw his zone contact go way up from 80% to 86%. It's a really big one-year jump. So you would think hitters adjusted to him, but that didn't reflect in the results. He had a 2.28 ERA. Now, can you project him to have a sub-3 ERA next year? No, that would be crazy. But I think 4-1 might be a little high. He has a Manoa has a really high floor as a pitcher because he has a really good fastball. That's one thing I really look at a pitcher. You have to have a good fastball. It's the pitch you throw the most. It most cases, guys throw their fastball as their primary pitch. And you need a good fastball to just go two or three times through the order. So Manoa checks that box. He's got great command. And as we've seen the last two seasons, he limits home runs and 
doesn't really give up hits ever. But I understand the projection system regressing him because a 244 BABIP and a 197 average against isn't something you can really carry over every year, especially with a 23% strikeout rate. His K to walk is basically like Jose Barrios in his career in 2022, which is, it's fine, but it's not, it's not a two, five ERA guy. So yeah, without going on anymore and repeating my points, I think Manoa's somewhere in the middle. I'm, there's a large middle, but I would take his ERA from last season, sorry, his ERA from his career and his projected ERA and middle them. And I think that's the best you're going to do if you were to use projections. Now, Manoa's not the only one that's getting regressed here. Kevin, if you look at McKenzie, I mean, he had just as good of a year as Manoa in many respects. Had more strikeouts, had a sub-3 ERA, he had a better whip than Manoa did, and their steamer is regressing him just as much in those ratio categories to to that 4.11 ERA, 1.23 whip, but keeping the uh, keeping the strikeouts right in line as well and the innings pitch regressing him down just a little bit having a miss basically a start worth of innings. So where am I getting at with this is is the regression fair for McKenzie as well and then if that's the case why are Manoa and McKenzie going so far apart? Why aren't they like why aren't they going back to back and since they're being regressed the same amount and they put up pretty much the same season last year as well. I think until the end of the season we weren't really talking about Tristan McKenzie that much and then once we were people were finally starting to buy into what he had been doing we've seen this from Manoa for over 300 innings now like Ryan said not until 2021 for the most part but over the last two seasons he's got 308 innings so I think people are comfortable with that the thing that to just agree with what Ryan was saying with the ERA metrics here a few years ago, I asked Alex Chamberlain, who knows quite a bit about pitching. Most everybody knows that. When I, I've talked on the show before about when Eno Saris said barrels weren't included in projection systems at that time a few years ago, I had pretty good luck, success, whatever you want to call it, giving guys with good barrel rates just a little bit of a bump above their projections. And that really worked out well. So I asked Alex Chamberlain, what should I be looking at for pitching that same respect? And at the time he said, quality of contact. He's, his example at the time when he was still really good was Hendricks for the Cubs will always have ERA projected higher than what he'll end up with because there, there's not a quality of contact implemented into the projections. And so he used the Wobacon. Wobacon contact is something he would look at to, to adjust things a little bit. I think that's what's going on here. They're not going to project, as Ryan said, Manoa to have a 246 or a 244 BABIP. Even the 289 they do have him projected for, that leads to more on base, mm -hmm. which leads to more runs. That leads to, so that adjusts everything. Also, I'm pretty sure they're probably, they're, the 82.6% left on base percentage he had in 2022 being regressed to about 72%, which is even lower than he did in 2021. So there's another one, not going to project somebody that good. So that adjusts 
everything, especially the ratios. And so that's what we're getting here at. And yeah, I just think, I, I think with Manoa, I think people are going to throw these ratio projections right out the window. Nobody is buying over a four ERA for Manoa. The question becomes, where do you settle? <laughs> and I kind of what Ryan said, somewhere in between their career number and their projected number. And I think the reason to get back to your original question that, that we don't talk about McKenzie enough is we haven't seen it as much the 300 innings that Manoa has. And he's thought of more of a guy on the rise, right? He's a guy we're getting excited about. We've just started to see what we think he could do and maybe even improve upon. So that, that's kind of the difference between the two there uh, as far as I, yeah, I've seen it already on Twitter. People are in a r- uproar over this Manoa projection and <laughs> it's understandable. Like the guy, his career ERA in 308 innings is 2.6 and they're projecting him for over four. I understand. I also see where it's coming from. And thanks to that conversation I had with Alex Chamberlain a few years ago, I understand that you can probably get away with, we say trust, if we're going to trust projections, you got to stick to it. You can get away with saying, no, he's, we got to adjust this ERA here in this projection and see then where he comes out in our rankings. Well, I think the trusting the projection part is all fair because that's what we've been talking about. There are people who put down projections that are more than likely smarter than you, listener, (laughs) and us when it comes down to it. But you also need to understand to your point and to Alex's point that you're referencing, what is going into it, what's baking, what's being baked in and what's not. And if you know the things that are not being accounted for, then you can logically make adjustments even on the fly, even if it's just back of napkin math or guesstimations based on that fact. So quality of contact, for example, as you're mentioning, I think that's a fair thing to do. For do either of these projections you guys, is it, is it affecting the way in which you are drafting either one of them? Ryan, are you passing on Manoa to get McKenzie? Are you passing on both of them? Do you think one should be going up over the other? No, they didn't really change my mind. I was I think going into draft season, I knew I was going to be off Manoa anyway, just because stuff-wise started to fall off a little bit. He started to lose velo a little bit. As the year went on, like I said before, his strikeouts went down. And he's just being drafted way too high. I would much rather Tristan McKenzie, who got better as the year went on. I believe like from July to the end of the season, he had a 28% strikeout rate, 5% walk rate, and a .88 whip. And down the stretch, he looked incredible. So he, to me, is a guy that's on the rise and could have a huge breakout year next year. Whereas I'm expecting a lot of regression from Manoa. So McKenzie would definitely be my target out of those two. All right, we'll get to the next pairing then. Kevin, we have, I want to start with you only because one of these guys, we talked you talked about him a little bit last week, and that was John Gray. But we'll start with the upper echelon, if you will, based on ADP, Lucas Giolito, who is going as the 59th pitcher off the board, 145 overall. So that's the middle of the 12th, 12th round compared to John Gray. You can get about six, maybe six and a half rounds later in the top of the 18th round. Uh, 79th pitcher off the board, 209 overall through the first 17 drafts that we see on NFBC. All draft champions, by the way. 
they are projected to be pretty much the same guy as with all these pairings, right? Right around 176 innings pitch for both of them, 180 strikeouts, just one just above a four ERA. That's Giolito and John Gray with just a sub four ERA, both at 1.26 whip as well. So with all this in mind, are you, is a regression, because regression really can be used in both in both cases, right? Both positive and negative. Is, are you believing more in the positive regression for Giolito or the somewhat flat or just slightly more negative regression from John Gray, though it does come with 50 more innings than he threw last year? Yeah, I th- this is a really interesting one because other than the little bit of the drop in velocity, we're still not sure what was wrong with Giolito. I don't think that the velocity drop explains everything. It, w- it wasn't a huge drop, but it's what everybody is focusing on because it's all we have. <laughs> it's the only thing we've found so far that we think might have something to do with what's going on. So we have no idea. Uh, whether we want to buy into a uh, positive regression here, as you stated, I don't know how I would decide other than punching everything into an algorithm and seeing what happens. Like where I, I have no idea what to do with Giolito. I like the idea of where he's going, taking a shot on him. However, I love this projection and the ADP we're getting with John Gray. I'm a little skeptical of the 50 inning jump that, that you brought up maybe more closer to his 2021 150 ish innings between 150, 160. That might be the slight adjustment I would make in playing time. As we talk about, if you're going to adjust these types of things, adjust the playing time and then see where everything else ends up with, with everything else main in the same. But yeah, I am, I'm more than happy to draft John Gray at his current ADP. Probably would take a shot or two on Giolito at some point in his spot as well, but much more comfortable uh, with the John Gray because it's there's other positives, right? Second year out of Colorado, adjusting to new team, second year with his new team, uh, that type of thing. So. Sometimes it's not that I'm changing projections. It's just which one am I more comfortable with and I'm comfortable with John Gray's Giolito could way outperform his. So that's why I'm not going to ignore it, but I'm pretty comfortable with what they have for John Gray. Ryan, do you see these projections moving, uh, moving Gray up a board or more likely having Giolito move down closer to Gray? Like if they were to move closer together in ADP, do you think it would be more because Gray was moving up or more because Giolito was going down? I would think Gray will go up. I think a lot of people were burned by Giolito last year. So you can, I don't think anyone who drafted Giolito last year is going to want to draft him again just because that's how bad he was. But going to your point, Kevin, how you said we don't really have anything as to why Lito was so bad. I was going through Eno's stuff plus metrics, and I thought this was really interesting to bring up. In 2020, Lucas Giolito's stuff was 109. In May of 2021, it was 104. End of the season 2021, it was 102. 
end of the season in 2022, it was 94. So mm. just in two seasons, it's dropped 15 points of stuff plus. And we've seen that reflect in his strikeout rate. In 2020, his strikeout rate was 34%. Then it went down to 28%. Then it went down to 25%. And Steamer has it going even lower to 24%. Right. And for Giolito figured out to become a great pitcher, I'm not really sure. I believe it was mechanical, if I'm not mistaken. When he first came up, he was really bad. And then he just was able to find something with his mechanics. Sure, that's possible. And I'm sure that had something to do with it. But I also think sticky stuff probably plays a pretty big role here. Because the velocity was about 94 the last three seasons prior to 2022. And even though it dropped 1.2 miles an hour, that wouldn't result in this tough cratering that we've seen. So I would think it's more likely that he was a real, really big sticky stuff user and just doesn't use it as much anymore on top of maybe losing life on his fastball and bite on the slider, something like that. I don't know. I'm definitely not going to have any Giolito. I don't think he's discounted nearly enough. And John Gray, we saw possibly take another step. He was adding a sweeper and that slider became a really, really elite pitch for him. I know that wasn't really the question, but I would much rather have John Gray of the two. Yeah, especially at that cost, I can see that again, 79th overall. And it's interesting just looking at current ADP, which will fluctuate a whole lot between now and even just the time you're listening to this, perhaps. But he's going back to back with teammate Lance Lynn, who obviously did the complete opposite where he's just was cratering teams at the first, in the first half of the season and came back to life to remind everybody what kind of an ace he actually can can be. To your point, Mackenzie, it's nice to see that second half resurgence should carry over into draft season a little bit more so than the other way around. So if you're comparing it not to players that are estimated to be very similar a couple rounds later, if you're just comparing them to who you could get instead at that same point in the draft, that's something to consider as well. And you have Lance Lynn right there as an option. All right, let's move into the last, what was started to be a pairing. And at first, I just wanted to talk to you guys about the the two possible rotation additions for the New York Mets. But then Michael Zimione, SP Streamer on Twitter, at SP Streamer, he pointed this out. And I wanted to, so I wanted to add in Dustin May into the equation as well. If you take a look at Steamer's projections for Dustin May, who is currently going 156th overall, as the 62nd pitcher off the board, that's the middle of 13th round in a 15-teamer. They've got him down for 146 innings, um, obviously coming back from his injury, his recent injury coming back last year, only pitched 30 innings. Obviously, that's a big jump. 260, sorry, 368 ERA, 1.23 whip in the 146 innings with 159 strikeouts, so plenty of strikeouts compared to the innings there. But if you compare that estimation with... Tyler McGill and David Peterson, who have almost identical <laughs> projections from Streamer, even though there's no guarantee that either of them will be in the rotation, never mind both of them for the Mets, though there are still plenty of holes as of right now. They haven't resigned or signed any other starters. They brought, they could both be in the rotation if the season were to start tomorrow. 152 innings for each of them, 161 strikeouts for each, 3.76 ERA versus the 3.52 ERA for Peterson, 1.21 for McGill, and a 1.29 whip for 
Peterson as well. So they're right in line with each other. They're basically the same pitcher. Um, with that being said, Ryan here, Dustin May coming back from his injury, he's had 30 innings to get the rust off in 2022. Do you trust that he's going to hit that 146, 150 inning mark next year? Will the Dodgers allow him to, as you alluded to earlier, they do some funky things and do you trust this kind of projection for somebody who's coming back from such injury? I think the Dodgers should allow him to come close to that. Now, 145 seems a touch high, maybe 130. I would probably project him for a little closer to that. Only because I generally look from guys coming back from Tommy John surgery, I generally look at the innings they threw the year before they got injured. And that actually does line up with the 146 innings. So in 2019... You can't really use 2020 because it was the third of the season. But in 2019, he threw about 150 innings. So I guess that's where Steamer came up with that number. I just think the Dodgers are a team that always has seven or eight starters. So I think either May will will get skipped later in the year. He'll turn into a reliever and then back into a starter for the playoffs. They'll do something like that to manage his innings if he does stay fully healthy. So 150 seems a little high, but I don't think it's like something that's unattainable. Kevin, when you're looking at this projection for Dustin May, who's coming back from his injury, he might have his innings limited, as Ryan was just mentioning. Do you are you willing now just put Tyler McGill and Dave in for this question? Tyler McGill and David Peterson are the same person, just one person. <laughs> are you more willing or more likely? to grab one of these guys in place of, especially since this is the why take Dustin May when you can get one of these guys 20 rounds later scenarios. You can get both of these guys. Obviously, it's pretty easy to do. But are you more likely to skip over Dustin May and get one of those other guys in the Mets who who have their own risk involved? Oh, especially if I can get them both as one person and I get the one that makes the rotation. (laughs) Absolutely. No, but I think so. Anyway, I agree with what other people have said. I think Tyler McGill probably is in the rotation before Peterson. There is still a chance. It could be both of them. The Mets did pick up the option on Carrasco. I saw so that that does take a, a possible spot away, but there's a lot to be worked out there, but yeah, there's a huge gap in draft position here. You're, we're talking 15 rounds between the two. So I am definitely more likely to have one of Tyler McGill or David Peterson or both than I am Dustin May. Doesn't mean I don't like Dustin May where he's going either. We we hear all the time the last thing to come back is command and steamers going there, right? They're not getting him all the way back to the walk percentage he had prior to his injury, but his career walk rate is 7%. They're bringing him in at 7.7 rather than the 11% he had in the 30 innings last season. And when you look at his game log, he was really up and down, but the walks determined how he was performing in his game. So if his command is back, he might actually start moving up. If we start seeing him, with his 26% strikeout rate that, that he's projected for and anywhere around the 7% that he's projected for, he's probably moving up from this ADP because that's exactly what we all want to see. So if we're drafting now 
I think with a full off season, I would give him the benefit of the doubt and say, yeah, this is within a, a fairly likely scenario of occurring and give him a little bit of a bump here. Right. We hear, we talk about it and hear other people talking about it as well. Like you have to manage, especially in these draft champions and these draft and holds, you have to manage the amount of risk throughout the, your draft. Right. And so all of these guys, all three of these guys in some, some way or another come with their own version of risk, whether it be Dustin May actually hitting 150 innings or how the Dodgers utilize him, how he continues to come back from his injury or the question marks on the role that Tyler McGill and David Peterson will have for the Mets or whatever team they happen to be on. Are you more likely to, if you're managing your risk, first of all, are you still open to drafting all three of these guys since you could do that? If, But if you're managing your risk a little bit more, you're probably not. Which one, which set of risk is riskier? Would you rather have Dustin May or would you take the chance on taking both Tyler Miguel and David Peterson and just hope one of them makes the rotation. So I'm very particular in the pitchers I take. There's generally like a bucket of guys I really want in the first couple of rounds. And then the late round flyers, I'm almost going to take the same guys every time. I am not convinced either Tyler McGill or David Peterson are big league starters. And I think Dustin May is like a bona fide ace in the making. So just to answer your question, I would much rather have Dustin May than take a chance on one of these guys because I'm not convinced they're actual big league starters. Going to David Peterson, he did have a big jump and strikeout rate. But if you look at the zone contact and you look at the chase rate, they're the exact same as career norms. What was the difference was the chase contact dropped a little bit, and that's what allowed his whiff rate to go up. If you go to Eno's stuff and command metrics, David Peterson ranks very poorly. He has about 94 stuff, 94 command. The command is really bad. That's generally not, you can't really be a starting pitcher and have around 94, 95 command. I think that's why he was more of a swing guy. And I honestly think that's his role moving forward. What he does really well is he gets guys to chase. Right-handed batters, he throws like the slider lowing in to get him to chase. And he's got a few pitches. He might be okay, but I'm really not a fan of Peterson at all. Now going over to Tyler McGill, again, I'm not convinced he's a starting pitcher. If you go to his career numbers as a starter, lefties, I'm sorry, righties, he has a 30% strikeout rate, 5% walk rate, 292 FIP. That's against righties. Against lefties, mm-hmm. 21% strikeout rate, 8% walk rate, 164 whip, 310 batting average against, 6 FIP, and a 5X FIP, 2.6 homers per nine against left handed batters. That's, that's unusable against a team <laughs> of left handed bat. Like, you can't even, if a team has four or five lefties in the lineup, you can't put them in your lineup. And when after he got hurt, he missed two or three months, I believe. The Mets didn't use him as a starting pitcher when he came back. He was a reliever. Well, they announced that too. They announced it before he was set to come back. It wasn't like a decision they made at the last second. They knew before they came back he was going to be in the relief. And they made an announcement. You don't ever see, te- you don't normally see teams do that. Be like, yeah, he's coming back, but he's going to be in the bullpen. And so they already had that planned out. 
Yeah, and I think the reason for that was because if they made a deep playoff run, they knew they couldn't use him as a starting pitcher because teams probably would have just loaded up left-handed batters and he would have gotten killed. So you use him as more of a matchup matchup play against two, three, four right-handers in a row. And that's a common theme with starters that people don't really talk about a lot. You need a full mix to be able to attack right-handed and left-handed batters. That's, it's so important when you look at pitchers. Now, do I like Tyler McGill as like a late-round flyer? Yeah, I do. But do I want him as a top nine? Do I want him as one of my starting pitchers, like my top nine? I don't know if I feel comfortable doing that. Uh, and again, I, Dustin May, to me, is an ace in the making. It's not a matter of if it happens. It's a matter of when. Either it's this year, next year, whatever. He's a stud. The spin rates are off the charts. The stuff's off the charts. And he's with the best. What better team would you want? For wins. At least for wins. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Yeah, wins, developing pitchers, everything. Look what they did with Andrew Heaney and Tyler Anderson. He's twice as talented as those guys. You got to think he's going to take a next step. Sorry, I went on really long, but. I'm very particular with my pitchers. I like doing all the work with looking at pitchers, whatever reason. That's just really important to me. If, uh, if you take nothing else from this, if I'm taking nothing else from this whole conversation, I know that if I'm in a draft with Ryan, that I can expect him not to take a pitcher until the 13th round and Dustin May will be his SP1 with all confidence. <laughs> I actually did my startup dynasty draft. I did something like that. I took. I started like 10 straight hitters. <laughs> And Dustin May was your SP1? All right, that worked out. That checks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, I don't know. I just feel feel comfortable doing that type of strategy. Yeah, absolutely. You, Especially you, you in the dynasty. Like the, yeah. You got to like the team construct as well for a couple of guys here coming back from injury and who we trust more as well, just to add to your point, Ryan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you're coming back from injury and you're on the Mets, that's a big red flag. If you're coming back from injury and you're on the Dodgers, they might manipulate you in certain ways, but they're, they've got your best interest at heart, it seems. They won't bring you back early so that you can get hurt again, it would seem. <laughs> and they they might baby him, but he's got 30 innings. He's got the rest off. He's got the offseason behind him, or by the time the season starts, he will. So yeah, I, I would trust him with the Dodgers a little bit more than I trust either one of those other guys with the Mets, especially McGill coming back from his own injury situations. All right. These are just a couple of really good or really projections from Steamer on these pitchers. There are more, and I'm sure they will come up via tweets or other podcasts. We probably will bring some up as a reference point as well in the future. But I think this was a good starting point to talk about some kind of interesting guys, especially where they're going and how they might affect their ADP based on these new projections that are coming out. Kevin, with all that in mind and whatever else, do you have anything else you want to leave us with as we continue to trudge on in, in draft season? Not really. That's what these off off season episodes are. The entire episode is talking about this kind of stuff. I would just a, a reminder, like I often say, we, we, we all know this, but sometimes we, there's so much we're looking at you know, as, as other projection systems start to come out and we start to compare them don't automatically cherry pick the one outlier because you agree on that player. And I think everybody knows that, but it's hard. Oh yeah. The bat X likes him better. Like I already do that. If you're going to do that, you should probably be trusting the bat X a little more for everybody, not just the one guy (laughs) that, that 
that agrees with your perception. That's a little reminder. But like I said, this in the off season, everything we're talking about is what we're typically trying to get a small little tidbit at the end of the shows. Confirmation bias is a heck of a drug, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. If you guys out there are interested in setting up your schedule for draft season, make sure that you're considering joining the our listener leagues as well. We did fill up our November draft that kicks off on the 15th. So we will have our first draft of the season heading off there on next Tuesday. But we still have openings in our January, February, and March drafts coming up in, after the calendar flip. So make sure you check out our pinned tweet at on the wire pod and fill out the pre-registration forms just so you can hold that seat. So once we have the links ready to go, we will send them your way. Uh, that's going to do it. Ryan, thanks so much for breaking this all down with us, pushing us to the gladiator format, which I'm really excited about and let everybody know where they should be listening to you. We're not doing any writing anymore, but we can definitely hear your voice and where everybody can follow anything else you might be doing. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter Twitter at underscore Armbarn, and you can find me on In The Cut Fantasy Podcast with my buddy John Fish. Again, we're a baseball and basketball podcast, but from now until March, it's going to be all baseball. Yeah, definitely take a look at that. And as Kevin mentioned, go back and listen to some of those older episodes that just came out during basketball draft season as well to get some extra insights. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us, man. It was was a blast. Hopefully you had a good time. Great time. Thank you so much for having me. All right, let's get to wrap it up for episode 86 of On The Wire. We're back every Sunday. More insights and analysis as the offseason trudges on. So please make sure to subscribe, share, and review the podcast wherever you're listening. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Hasting Kevin. And of course, follow the pod itself at on the wire pod. Like to once again, thank our guest, Brian Venancio for joining us. Should be followed at Ven underscore Armbarn on the Twitter. After all that, I am Adam Howe. And on behalf of Kevin Hasting, thanks for listening. And we bid you goodbye.